tuning in to Microbiome Matters, a podcast for healthcare professionals and researchers brought to you by Yakult Science. This podcast aims to share latest research and insights from experts about the science behind our gut microbiome. Hi, I'm Nev. And I'm Britt. And we're the hosts of Microbiome Matters. Before we get started, we'd like to say thanks for tuning in, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you're enjoying listening, we'd really appreciate if you could rate the Microbiome Matters podcast on your streaming app and share it with your friends and colleagues. This will really help us to reach more people. That's it from us. Back to the episode. Hi, I'm Niv. And I'm Britt. And welcome to the Microbiome Matters podcast. Today, we're joined by Professor Tarek Iqbal, who will be talking to us about inflammatory bowel disease and fecal microbiota transplants. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. So I, I'm Tarek. I'm a, I'm a hollow organ gastroenterologist from, from uh, Birmingham. I have a, um, a big inflammatory bowel disease practice. And my research is all about the um, microbiome uh, and how to manipulate this using fecal transplants in inflammatory bowel disease. I, I'm the director of the um, Microbiome Treatment Center at the University of Birmingham. Uh, and I've also uh, led on uh, FMT Matters for the UK Expert Panel on Microbiome and Health, which is a joint British Society Gastroenterology and Health Infection Society group. Oh, thank you for joining us today, Tariq, and giving us that short and sweet introduction of yourself. Um, so you said you've, you're really interested in inflammatory bowel disease. So let's just start off on that. Could you tell us what is inflammatory bowel disease and how we can distinguish between Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis? So inflammatory bowel disease is, is a chronic inflammatory condition, which is an autoimmune uh, inflammation in, in, in the gastrointestinal tract, which is epidemic in the world at the moment. It's a modern disease and it's um, due to an aberrant response of the, uh, the gut immune cells in relation to a trigger which is highly likely to be to, to be an imbalance in the microbiome. And this is in people with a genetic predisposition uh, according to uh, various genes which have been identified with IBD. Um, so both Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis uh, are pathogenic mechanisms are the same in, in that you need a genetically predisposed individual to have an autoimmune res- response to the microbiome. Uh, but the clinical manifestations are very different. And that really is the way you distinguish between Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Ulcerative colitis only if ever affects the colon, the large intestine, whereas Crohn's disease, typically, uh, in addition to affecting the colon, can affect the small intestine, particularly the end of the small intestine. And it's those clinical uh, presentations which people use in practice to differentiate between ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. When you take samples from the, from the tissue uh, and look under the microscope, there are certain uh, patterns of inflammation and certain uh, key um, differences between Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, which help in making the differentiation. But it's largely in day-to-day practice. It's in relation to the, 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 the mode of presentation and where, the, where in the bowel the disease occurs. Thanks for explaining the difference between Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. As you mentioned, there's an association between inflammatory bowel disease or IBD and the microbiota. Could understanding these changes in the gut microbiota help us better manage the condition? Yeah, I think so. So I think, um, you know, we still don't understand what a normal 
uh, healthy gut microbiome is because it's very complex. Uh, the, 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 um, the microbiome has been there from prehistory uh, and uh, we've been diverging from the great apes in terms of our microbiome for the last six million years. So, so it's a very complex uh, interactive environment. However, um, at a very high level, there are five main groups of bacteria um, Firmicoid, uh, Bacteroidetes and Firmicutes, which are the, 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 the strict anaerobic bacteria which, occur, which live in, in, in oxygen-free uh, environments. Uh, and then there are proteobacteria, actinobacteria, uh, and, um, uh, and other smaller phylotypes. But, but, but essentially, the majority of the bugs in the bowel are these uh, um, strict anaerobes, which are involved in short-chain fatty acid metabolism production, and in digesting nutrients. And in people with inflammatory bowel disease, not only there is there a general reduction in the diversity of the bacteria in the bowel, but there is a reduction in, in the firmicutes and the bacteroidetes in relation to proteobacteria, which are facultative anaerobes. So they, these bugs can survive in small come with small concentrations of oxygen in the, in the gut. And they're the bad guys. They're, they're, the, they're the bugs which are associated with inflammation, such as the E. coli, the Salmonella, the Shigellas of, of the world. They're the proteobacteria. And they tend to be over-represented compared to the healthy um, anaerobic bacteria, which, which are diminished in inflammatory bowel disease. And we could understand uh, exactly what that phenotype is, exactly what those, those driving influences are, then I think they will be a, long, a big step towards managing the trigger of inflammatory bowel disease rather than the consequence, which is what we deal with every day. So the, the most, just about all medicines at the moment are directed towards the inflammatory response and nothing really effective with regard to the microbiome trigger at the moment. But yeah, once we get to the understanding, there's going to be a whole new era of treating inflammatory bowel disease, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's really interesting. And here at Microbiome Matters, we're always interested to hear about all of the latest research. Um, so we're wondering, are there any dietary recommendations for those with IBD that can help support the microbiota? It's very difficult to modify diets in adult human beings uh, in, in any meaningful way because people don't want to do that generally. And secondly, uh, making those assessments of, of, of how people have complied with their diet uh, tend, uh, are very difficult. People uh, will say they're on a particular diet, but they won't mention the, uh, the five pints of lager and the, and the vindaloo, which they uh, slipped up off on or two. So it's very difficult to know. However, I think uh, animal experiments in relation to uh, carbohydrates which are available to the to the bacteria and the guts are microbially associated available carbohydrates which uh, improve the health of those anaerobes those 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 uh, oxygen starved bugs which which are healthy for the gut uh, would be would be a good thing to look at uh, the human gut is unable to break down difficult green vegetables uh, whereas the, the the bacteria in the in the gut do tend to break them down and they are healthy um, from the what we know about people with inflammatory bowel disease and diet, um, there's a clear signal that refined sugars are a bad thing, uh, and also artificial sugars as well tend, tend to drive inflammation. Um, and in terms of the, 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 the microbial health of the gut, then red meat tends to drive sulfide-producing bacteria on the left side of the bowel that probably should be, should be avoided. Well, that's really interesting. Um, you have a lot of expertise in faecal microbiota transplant treatments or FMT. 
From your experience leading FMT clinical trials in the UK, as well as being the director of the Microbiome Treatment Centre, could you tell us about FMT, what it is, how does it work, and which conditions can be effectively treated using FMT? Right, so, so uh, FMT is uh, minimally processed uh, donated stool samples from, from very health, carefully screened healthy donors. Uh, and FMT has been used to treat bowel disease since the 4th century in Chinese medicine. The first use in um, the 20th century uh, in modern medicine was in 1958 when um, an American army doctor treated patients with probably with Clostridioides difficile infection. So, so Clostridioides difficile is, is, is a bacteria which, which is a normal commensal in the gut. But uh, if you give broad-spectrum antibiotics to frail elderly people in particular, this can go overgrow and produce a toxin. And the first-line treatment for Clostridioides difficile is still antibiotics, but a good 20 to 30 percent of patients don't respond and get recurrent Clostridioides difficile. So, so from that first investigation in 1958, uh, in the last 10 years, really, it, it's, it's FMT has taken off for the treatment of recurrent and severe um, Clostridioides infection. And one or two treatments uh, affects an 80 to 90 percent cure rate. So it's very effective treatment for Clostridioides difficile. And that's what we tend to, uh, 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 most most of our treatment is for that in the UK. We treat about 200, 250 patients a year at the moment with, with around the country for that condition. And at the moment, that's, that technology assessment is being undertaken by NICE, uh, firming up the recommendations in that space. In most other conditions, it's there in a trial setting, really. Uh, most trials have been done in ulcerative colitis. There is a concern in Crohn's disease because the thickness of the inflammation in Crohn's disease means there's a theoretical concern for bacterial translocation uh, in, in, across the, the tissue into, into the system. Uh, but uh, we really are a bit behind in starting looking at the microbiome in, in the context of FMT and Crohn's disease. There have been five randomized controlled trials run against placebo in ulcerative colitis, and there is a positive, uh, quite a very, very positive signal in, in three out of five of those. Uh, we did the first pilot study in ulcerative colitis using an intense protocol uh, in the UK, uh, finished a, a, just over a year or two ago, uh, and that again, again showed a very nice signal. So I think for the moment, it's definitely there for, for Clostridioides difficile. I think it can be considered for patients with ulcerative colitis if they've got nowhere else to go and, and, and in special cases, but the funding in the NHS is not there for that yet. Uh, so it's still, I think, in, in forms of inflammatory bowel disease, uh, subject to, to uh, clinical trials and the results of those, but it's a very important discovery tool, as we discussed before, in terms of dis dis discovering which components of the microbiome are important in IBD. Um, so how do you choose donors for FMT? Like, do you look for specific microbial characteristics, depending on the condition? Or do you, is, is it a different process that it No, so, so I think, you know, as, as we kind of discussed at the beginning, really, we don't yet know what, what, what a healthy microbiome is. So there aren't any rational um, decisions to be made with regard to um, uh, the do donor microbiome. Um, I, I think there are signals that are emerging that certain strains of, of a family called Clostridioides, Clostridia, I'm just going to say Clostridia because I can't say the, the, the full name, uh, are, are important. But it, it, it's, um, it's really about the um, uh, picking healthy 
individuals. And, and our screening process involves uh, a very um, rigorous health screening questionnaire. And only 5 to 10% of people who come along get through that. Uh, and then we um, uh, look, at, look at the transmission, uh, any transmissible pathogen, include transmissible viruses. That seems like there's a very rigorous screening process in place. Um, and with that in mind, are there safety concerns when it comes to FMT? Yeah, I mean, you're right. There's a theoretical safety concern in relation to the transmission of pathogens. Um, and, 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 and the mainstay uh, to, to, to guard against that, again, again, is the, is the careful screening of donors. We also, as part of our uh, MHRA specials license, uh, I have to keep retention samples. So if anybody has an adverse event, we can go back and look to see if there's anything in that stool which, which we didn't pick up. Uh, and, and do some more intense sort of sequencing of the stool to see if there's anything there. Um, I think it's very important to keep the guidelines up to date and to keep an eye on what other people in the world are doing. So we, we wrote the um, British Society of Gastroenterology and Health Infection Society guidelines two or three years ago, and they're being revised this year. I must say that, you know, uh, the FMT has been used now for the best part of a decade very widely, and there there has been quite a... a, a uh, an interest in looking at uh, adverse events uh, and a couple of um, rigorous um, systematic reviews of adverse events, particularly in, the, in relation to randomized controlled trials where, where, where one is focused at looking at this, haven't really shown a significant signal. For the moment, it looks to be quite safe. And, you know, uh, we have a, a mandated seven-day reporting uh, for early uh, efficacy in adverse events. And again, in the last six years since we've been doing this, since we got our license, we haven't, Touchwood, uh, had a significant problem uh, to date. So, so it's there, we're aware of it, and it's, uh, you know, it's a developing field, really. Yeah, it's great to hear that there are, there are guidelines and processes in place to ensure that this treatment is conducted safely and yeah, I think I think we we, we do uh, talk a lot, uh, both in, the, in 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 within the UK community as part of the UK Microbiome for Health group, uh, but also with European consensuses and so forth. So we we you know we do people in this space do keep an eye on what other people are doing, and that's the safe way to go forward. Really, I think. Yeah, it's great to hear. Um, so just to conclude the section on FMT treatments, uh, what are future prospects or emerging areas of research in relation to FMT? Other than inflammatory bowel disease, I think things like metabolic syndrome, autism is, is something which is being uh, looked at at the moment. And then there's this all very interesting uh, area of uh, affecting the effectiveness of immunotherapy in patients with cancer, uh, which, which would probably be quite an important space in terms of microbiome manipulation. But, you know, in my own specialty in inflammatory bowel disease, we've, we've made a good start with, with ulcerative colitis. There are other things uh, which, which need to be addressed. And we're about to start a trial in primary sclerosing cholangitis. We're looking to do an intervention with FMT in patients with pouchitis. And I do think we need to start uh, uh, significantly thinking about Crohn's disease as well. I mean, a lot of this has been put on pause by 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 the uh, by the pandemic and and people's focus on on, on COVID and getting over that. But I, I think uh, uh, the near future is is um, is very exciting. Uh, and I, I hope actually that FMT is not around in ten years' time. I hope we've managed to use it as a treatment, as a crude treatment, and as a discovery tool to understand which components of the microbiome are important and to develop novel targeted uh, therapeutics based on uh, on those uh, and also understanding what 
the basis of this dysbiosis is in terms of diet. And we've, we've done some work on, again, we were talking, going back to the donor bit, we, we, we've just put a whole bunch of donors on, on a Mediterranean diet to, for two weeks to see whether we can see whether that affects their microbiome. And I think those sort of, those discovery uh, uh, um, investigations are going to be very important going forward. That's really fascinating to hear which directions the science are going and um, the areas that are emerging from this research. I did forget, to, sorry, just did forget to mention something. Another very important area is antimicrobial resistance, of course. Oh, of course. Antimicrobial resistance genes are um, hosted in the, in the gut uh, and a healthy microbiome is resistant to antimicrobial resistance. So that's another very important area. Of course, that's, that's really important and it's interesting to hear about all of these different avenues of the research. Our um, last question for you today is actually something about your lifestyle activities or um, something that you do to look after. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's like asking uh, cardiovascular surgeons who smoke why they smoke. I mean, you know, that's, um, <laughs> I, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Okay, I mean, I do my best, but I'm a human like the rest of us, right? Yes. And, and I, I suffer with the same problems in relation to doing what I think is the best thing to, to do. Uh, as you do, and probably Niv is probably a, 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 a saint in, the, in this in this aspect. But I, I'm no better than anybody else. I try and avoid processed foods. I try and avoid you know burgers. Uh, I don't have artificial sugars, and I don't have uh, uh, too much too much in the way of, of um, um, refined sugars. And I'm hoping that my children will will, will follow after me because it's not just my generation that's important. This this is a, 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 a an ongoing process in the human race is about fixing our ourselves and adjusting to our ecology, right? But uh, I'm going to hold my hands up and say I like a beer. Um, I'm, I'm, um, I shouldn't say that probably, but, uh, uh, um, you know, I, I'm a typical example of, of the problem, okay, in terms of um, uh, adhering to, 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 to rational dietary advice. And, and I, yeah, so you've got me there. No, it's a great answer to be, um, yeah, be honest that we can try our best and follow the recommendations, but yeah, we're all human, aren't we? And every little bit counts, so. Give, give, give me a bunch of rats and we, you know, we can fix them. Yeah. <laughs> or children, in fact, children are very good at uh, uh, dietary manipulations because they're a fairly captive audience, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's where the, uh, the uh, elemental in intervention, elemental diet interventions, and the very fascinating work that um, my colleague from Glasgow, uh, Costas Gerasimides, is doing in Crohn's disease with his mm -hmm. CD treat uh, diets. Children are, 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 are uh, they, you know, they're not as ridiculously useless as adults, really, <laughs> like me. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear. Whenever we ask our guests this question, we always hear different responses, and it's yeah, great to hear how different people approach kind of question. I thought we'd better be honest just in case one of my friends listens to this and uh, writes to you and says that's completely nonsense. <laughs> but anyways, thanks for talking to us today. It's been really insightful to hear all about inflammatory bowel disease and of course the fascinating world of FMT treatments and all of the research that's going around in that area. Oh, so th thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed that. Thanks for tuning in. For more information and to sign up for future episodes of our Microbiome Matters podcast, go to yakult.co.uk forward slash HCP. Mm -hmm.